I do sing our theme song a bit too often to myself, and I realize that nobody else knows what I'm singing. So, so how do you sing it? How do you sing our theme song? Like, do you go deet, deet, deet? Like, yeah, I do, do my deet, deets. Mm-hmm. But I usually deet, 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 deet <laughs> to myself. And I always have to, like, look sideways on the mm. Deet, 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 deet. Mm. Ready graphics? Ready theme? And it's almost the same thing again, because I couldn't think what he would say. But it's funny how that stuff, it, it happened a number of times on, on Becker, too, where it's just, a, it's just a line you don't even think is important that you just throw out there. And maybe because you don't think it's important, it becomes memorable. Hi, I'm Jesse Mullins. Hi, I'm Lauren Milberger. And welcome to um, an interview episode a of, special the, interview of episode. the Murphy Brown Podcast, which Yay. are some of our favorites. We will be joined by Russ Woody. It's a, it's a, it was a really, really fun interview, guys. Yeah, I, I hope you too. We in. had a great time. He is a delightful human. Quite he delightful. lived up to the, to the hype from the rest of the creators. Yes, very much so. Please follow us on social media. Uh, you can find us at Murphy Brown Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The email is murphybrownpod.com. Our email is murphybrownpod at gmail. If you listen to us on iTunes, please hop on and give us a quick rating and review. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, and also it helps more people find us. So we, we hope you enjoy this and and let us know. And then we will see you next week for part two. Yes. Hope enjoy. You en- enjoy. Bye. Will the mystery guest please sign in? Hi. Uh, I am uh, mysteriously Russ Woody. I worked at uh, Murphy Brown for the first couple of years. Uh, the original group of writers there uh, who, believe it or not, were all still great friends. That's probably my favorite part, seeing everybody catch back up on social media yeah, with this revival. Yeah. It's kind of happened to you guys, too, because we go long periods without hearing from each other, and then all of a sudden, we hear from each other. So, uh, And not all, uh, very, very few working, I've worked a lot of shows, but very few of them managed to stay as close as we have over the years. It's been a few years, uh, you know, since that we were all done with that show. Yeah, a couple. <laughs> and and that's really the consensus of what we get, which I think is really so lovely, is that everyone that we talk to talks about how close everybody was and how these are all lifelong friendships. And I just think it's a testament to the writers and why the show is a huge hit. Um, yeah, although I will also say some shows where everybody hates each other, those, are, those turn out to be great shows. I mean, we can't knock the Rumors album by Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> Why? is that? Was that a case of it? Oh, yeah. It was written during turmoil. There's some great articles and pieces about the process. And it's just this genius album because they were all just working through their stuff together. Weren't they all just sleeping with each other? Yeah, it was bad. Wow. Wow. I, I don't know of any of that going on at uh, Murphy Brown. Well, you have another chance to find out. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be a little <laughs> awkward at this stage of the game, but... Or progressive... Let's bring yep. it out. I'll uh, try hitting on uh, Candace. Uh, yes. Let us know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, when we were on the show, we were walking to the stage, and I don't think Diane English knew we were uh, behind her, but Tom Zealy whistles at her, and she she whirled around like she was going to like sl- just, just slash his neck and take his head off. And he just put his hands up and goes, no, nah, it's just me, Tom. I'm just, I was just kidding. It's like the opening for that episode. Oh, what episode is it? We. Oh, the bitch is back. The bitch is back. 
So in the opening, we see Murphy chase down a catcalling construction worker, but the first woman to walk through is Diane. Yeah, she cameos in it. Yeah, and in this, she doesn't get him. She gives that to Murphy. Yeah. But Murphy chases him down the street. But Diane is the first person to walk through. So we like to talk about people's origin story. Uh, what made you become a writer and eventually what brought you to Murphy Brown? Uh, gosh, I, uh, my father moved around a lot. Our family moved around a lot when I was a kid and every two years and I hated it. And, you know, when you're a kid, you, yeah, you move into an area and you don't know anybody. And it was, and so I found that, you know, trying to be funny sometimes worked. And, uh, there were these guys that I used to ride the bus, uh, with to school every day. And they were a couple years older than I, but, for some reason, we'd sit in the back of the bus and we'd write out these little, you know, those things where you start a sentence and somebody else has to finish the sentence. We would do that. But, you know, and usually it was profane, uh, but it was to make uh, us laugh. And uh, I just remember doing it once or twice and just getting a great laugh from the back of the bus. I thought, God, this is not, this is not bad. I could write for a living. Uh, uh, and then I did um, – I went to school at Chico State in California, which is very, I, you know, a lot of the people that I work with are from uh, Harvard and uh, Yale and those things. And then it goes around the table to me and I go, yeah, Chico State. Pretty impressive. And they go, what the hell is that? Uh, yeah, I, and I did the intercollegiate uh, speech competition there and mostly humorous. And uh, so that was kind of a catalyst uh, for writing comedy. The writing has always kind of fascinated me, and it still does all these years later. It's just a, it's an amazing art form that, well, I, you know, I, I hate to put television and art in the same sentence, but uh, it is, it's an amazing craft that you never, ever really get the hang of, though you keep trying. <laughs> so, yeah. So how quickly did you get into writing for television? I, that was, yeah, first. Uh, when I, I moved down to Los Angeles uh, from up in Northern California and then got a job as a production assistant on a couple of, couple of shows. Uh, Bosom Buddies was one of them. Um, great, which was a great show. And Tom Hanks and uh, Peter Scolari are about my age. So uh, that was great fun. Really, and I played poker with Tom Hanks on the weekends and – you know, drive them places, and it was just a blast. Uh, and then uh, family ties, and then uh, I started writing and trying to sell some stuff, and finally got some notice from a few agents. and And uh, I think the first thing I sold was at Benson, um, which was Robert Guillaume, the the shoot off from Soap. I was a big Benson fan. I actually used to watch before I even knew what Soap was. Yeah, he, I, I was a production assistant there for for a season also. Um, Did you run into Steve on set when he was on the show? No, Steve, Steve told me that. And I said, uh, and I didn't see, um, I wish I had, uh, who Jerry Seinfeld was on for a while for like three. Episodes. Yeah. And they cut him out. There's nobody liked him there. And I'm like, what are the guys funny? What? what? <laughs> uh, he did. A, he, yeah. I, 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 he did. Okay. I guess he bounced. Cause back. I was thinking, Oh, that's good to know because I was thinking he just stumbled and and uh, you know just kind of went off into oblivion. Glad we could update you on oh, that. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. that's good to know because I thought he was a nice guy. Uh, Ted Danson was another. Uh, oh, Ted Danson. 
Oh, I forgot he was in it. It's been a while. He is uh, a, a tremendous ass. If you know anything about him, uh, he's uh, one of the most vile human beings you could ever uh, have contact with. Uh, just a disgusting human being. Yeah, that's what I hear. You know, the people from The Good Place just keep saying terrible things about him. I just feel so <laughs> badly for them. <laughs> he, uh, uh, just briefly, uh, uh, he, uh, we can talk about this later if you want, but, it, but he, I was there for about five years at Becker. And I, my father was sick at the time uh, and dying of ALS. And uh, so he would come to the, my dad would come to the show, started coming to the show every week. Uh, and Ted and the rest of the cast and crew just adopted him. Um, it was so every time my dad would come on the stage, Ted would yell, Woody, and he'd go over and he'd sit down with my dad. And they'd play. my dad could no longer speak because of the ALS. So he had a machine to help him and they they type to each other back and forth and just the uh, just the sweetest guy I you know I would I would change my sexual lifestyle to be with Ted if that was an option I don't blame you he just keeps getting better yeah he's yeah he is the sweetest most generous guy he when he when he I worked on a show called um, good sports with Ryan O'Neill and Farrah Fawcett Ryan would finish his part of a scene and you just go over and he had a, a punching bag set up on stage and just start punching the punching bag while the other actor is trying to act. And Ted, he would be finished with all of his rehearsal. He would be finished with all of his stuff and he'd go over and he'd watch the other actors finish out the scene or scenes. Just the sweetest guy. Um, where was I? Oh, two, uh, yeah, uh, uh, I did a bunch of shows, and then uh, I was on Slap Maxwell, and I think Diane English read my Slap Maxwell, which was a show with Daphne Coleman. You know, it's funny. I actually remember the commercials. I don't know if I actually watched the show. Yeah, I I remember the promos for it when I was a kid. I don't think I ever saw a full episode. That's around the time that I think I have sort of my first memory of television, like mm-hmm. 86, 87 or so. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, they were successful then, if all you remember is the commercials. That's all. That's really all they want you to do. Marketing. <laughs> well, I was a big fan of Dabney Coleman because he was in all these movies that oh. I was too young to see in the theaters in sort of the early 80s. And then by the time they were on cable, right. I was old enough to watch them all the time, like 9 to 5, uh, Cloak and Dagger. And so as a kid, I went, oh, I know you. You're someone that I recognize. Yeah, I regularly, when I write, I, I try to bring back names like Dabney and I'm constantly shot down by my theater company they're like nobody stop trying to use those old names everyone's going to be distracted like because nobody uses them anymore but I'm like I love it just sneak it <laughs> yeah no my my dad had his two best friends they were they were named uh Elmer Hornoff and Noel Fleckland oh those are so good I know and I've used them several times so how did you meet Diane through my agent who had sent her a copy of the Slap Maxwell script. And uh, I was in Chicago at the time, and my agent said, you got to come out here for this interview. And I said, but I'm in Chicago. And, you know, she said, well, you get on a plane and come back out here. And I said, I don't really like planes. I didn't really like planes at the time. And she browbeat me into it. So I risked my life and got on a plane and, and came out. And I think, I don't know if Corby was there, but I met Diane. And, and my agent was saying, you have to take this job. They're, they're, it's going to get Emmys. And 
my agent didn't know me very well because I don't have great interest in Emmys. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I met Diane and, and I thought she was she was very nice and uh, she just kind of put that group together and uh, it was a blast. It was really cool, and the and the cast was uh, was uh, great. Candice was always. Remember, we had a um, <clears throat> birthday party for Tom, I think, at at Tom Seeley at Candace Bergen's house, and Norm Gunzenhauser, who is one of my dearest friends. Uh, Norm has a, um, I don't want to say an immature sense of humor, but he has an immature sense of humor. And uh, uh, so he brought some fake uh, dog do and uh, put it in the middle of her living room on the white carpet. And after <laughs> after Candace went through and uh, was a little unsure about it, <laughs> it got explained to her. She thought it was the funniest, the funniest thing because she has a, a very crude sense of humor. Yeah, so. no, I've I've heard that about Candace's sense of humor. Yeah, and that's that's why we love the show. <laughs> You know, you know, uh, that you're, you're good. No, I remember, uh, cause Candace was married to Louis, Louis Maul at the time, at the beginning of, uh, Murphy and both Gary Donzig and I, um, were enamored with Louis Maul. He was a little, kind of a little short guy with a Inspector Clouseau accent. And so I'm with, it was the first time because Louie used to sit up in the audience. And then after the show during, during pickups, he'd come back, he'd come down onto the stage. And so Gary and I figured we'd go over and, and meet him. And I, <laughs> I thought it'd be kind of funny to act like I was explaining a, a reverse shot in uh, a pickup for editing to Louie because this, this tremendously famous uh, director is, so, uh, you know, I said, you know, Louis, even though uh, it looks like Candace is talking to no one here, the camera is on her face. And what they'll do is they'll take that shot and they'll match it with one of Eldon from, uh, which was shot earlier, which you may remember. And Louis like, I'm, I tower over him. So he's looking at me like I'm about to slit his throat. And, then and I realize the joke isn't working, and then Gary steps in and goes, "Mr. Ball, I just want you to know that I've been a fan of yours forever." And now there's two guys that are towering over him, and he just he just takes a couple steps backwards. <laughs> and then we told Candace about it later, and she and she goes, "Oh, that's really funny. I'll tell him. He does. He's he'll think that's funny." <laughs> So one of the things that fascinates me about writing for television, especially in a structure like this, is that you have a close vicinity with the actors. Um, but I have uh, read and heard from writers in various situations that some choose to be uh, to interact with the cast members more than others. Some choose to keep a distance and some choose not to because it may interfere with the character that they're writing. Did you notice any of that or feel so, that what, yourself? Not, uh, be friends with or come? Oh, well, that, that's interesting. I, Maybe for some people, it never occurred to me. It just seems like those are different people up there on the stage. Um, Grant uh, Schott and I became great friends. Uh, and the rest, you know, just we would go out together sometimes. And, you know, Candace, I was always a little nervous to talk to because she's Candace Bergen, um, who is the first time I saw her 
I mean, she looks pretty on television, but the first time I saw her, you know, I was like this, and she's stunning, just a, an amazingly, stunningly beautiful woman. Um, I, I don't know where I was going with that. It makes me think of, there's this quote of John Reese davies where he talks about meeting Julie Christie for the yeah. first time, and how she was the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen in person. Really? That it was, uh, it was like something a camera couldn't yeah. even capture. Yeah, I think that was true yeah. for her, too. So one of the things that we've gotten from a lot of the writers on the show is how much they admire your work. Um, and looking at your list of episodes, your work tends to be very creative and different. Is that a conscious thing that you think of, or where do you think that comes from? Uh, <clears throat> that's, that's interesting. And now and i got to take back all the bad things I've said about those people. Um, oh, you don't have to. We can edit that out. Good. We'll just speak to us. Gosh, I, 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 don't, I think I'm just a regular writer what i really love finding is is um gosh i don't know i i love small characters i love like um you know like when you have a a three-year-old and 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 you could kick the living crap out of a three-year-old uh and you give a three-year-old some pudding and this little kid is standing there and it goes this is lemon I don't want lemon. I would rather have the berry pudding. And they're like, they're like three feet tall and they're bossing you around. And there's something really, if you apply that to an adult, uh, I, I the, only, the only one I kind of remember is Kyle. He was kind of that way. He was just this, when you have a, well, Louis De Palma on taxi, he could get away with murder because he was a little guy with an attitude. I, I just love Little guys with attitudes. Um, uh, and there are, I don't know, I kind of look at paradigms of, uh, of characters that are, you know, the first thing as a writer, you guys, you guys write, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, you look at other characters that, and as soon as you crack up, you know, you go backwards and you go, oh, wait a minute. Why is that funny to me? What are the dynamics? And, um, uh, uh, I teach uh, at USC, and um, that's something we talk about quite a bit. You know, how do you how do you get to a character that's interesting? And it's not, you know, if you read books and stuff about it, they make it really really complicated. Um, it's not. I mean, sometimes you can find a great character just by figuring out what pisses them off. What you know? What irritates my character? What about this other character? You're, like Murphy is easy, I'll, you know, especially with those secretaries, which became uh, uh, the bane of our existence because uh, she had to have a new one every week. And we're like, oh, my God. Uh, but all you got to do is, I, I mean, because you know her attitude so well, she is so easy to piss off. Um, it, it's really just plugging something in, almost anything in and taking it to one level further. Um one of my favorite regular characters that you treat beyond the, the quirky new characters that you bring into your episodes, I really love how you wrote Miles and what sets him off. Because we we know he's a tiny, neurotic little man. But there's something about when something gets in his way and we watch him develop in the face of the adversity. I, I see a lot of his character growth in your episodes in particular. Oh. 
the uh, oh, all right now uh, the the death of oh, no it was originally called Death of a Silver Bird. Wait, what? I forget. Nowhere to Run a, was called Death of a Silver Bird. Nowhere- <gasps> That's amazing. I want that title back. Oh, we're taking it. <laughs> <laughs> all yours. So um, I think that we were talking about character, and um, particularly uh, since we have already covered Kyle. Do you do you remember the difference between what you originally wrote and then casting Leslie Jordan and how different that changed through the week? Uh, I don't remember a lot. I, 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 I do remember he, he as everybody loved him on the stage, and I thought, me too, I thought he was great. Um, as we got closer and closer to airtime, though, he became more and more flamboyant, and I was just – a little concerned that that was drawing attention away from who his character was. Um, but he did mean it managed to pull it off. Great. So it was a good, it was a good match. And that seems to be an episode that people just really gravitate to. Uh, we say bye what? a lot. <laughs> we say his bye. Oh, his bye. Uh, he, his, oh. Yeah. His bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a nice guy though. Really nice. When you, when you wrote the character, what were you envisioning? Um, just kind of like what I mentioned before is is uh, a small guy. I think he causes a bunch of problems for Murphy, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, for everyone. <laughs> yeah, and somebody like that, it's hard to get mad at them if they're uh, uh, diminutive. Uh, and and it, it seemed like a really good match to me to, to cause more and more problems for Murphy and everybody else. If he was a guy, you really couldn't, um, you couldn't attack. You know? <laughs> yeah. Because you'd win. <laughs> and I, you'd feel bad. Murphy gets more and more frustrated with him. Right. I'm remembering. Mm-hmm. Right. And they all do. They all think he's great. And then he keeps showing up at gyms for dinner and he like he just kind of he the lack of self awareness is what I find so amusing. <laughs> yeah. And the the good intentions, but complete lack of awareness. But again, that no one wants to be mean to him. Right. Because he doesn't mean ill. Yeah. And also, yeah, they could absolutely take him in half a second. <laughs> yeah. 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 And Grant, Grant too. Uh, um, um, say Miles. <laughs> uh, you know, he was he was one of those characters too that that um. You, you just saw such a good actor, but the, you just saw in his face the uh, he's one of those actors who can play terror behind the facade of everything's fine, and um, that's always something great to to uh, cash in on. Um, well, and you brought it out very early in Nowhere to Run. Yeah, and that was. Uh, I always, I always think uh, talk about paradigms. I always think it's really funny to have a, a innocent third character, uh, somebody who's uh, a victim of a conflict between two other entities, uh, like Murphy and the mobsters. I guess it was mobsters, right? Where she, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They they come in conflict with each other, and Miles becomes the victim of that. And Murphy is headstrong, and she's going to go forward. And uh, prosecute the or go after these guys, and they they turn around and threaten his life, right? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he's the, he's the man in charge. Yeah, yeah. And they they don't want to kill a woman. Yes, yeah. That's the other thing. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> they don't kill women. 
And and he is uh, perfect for that because you know he he's got to pretend that he's not terrified, but he's terrified. Yeah, he's tra- well, and he's also it's still early enough in in the series that he's still trying to prove that he's he can be the boss man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So watching this tiny young man have to go up against mobsters in his first year of working here is just yeah. the worst. And, and we were talking that it's a really sort of a uh, great episode at the beginning to establish the relationship between. Murphy and Miles and that, you it's know, it's the scoop moment. Yeah, she re- she really respects him at the end of it. It's really it's really beautiful. Yeah, I th- and that was Diane. Because I, 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 I think if I'm remembering correctly, I, I didn't want him to step up and be brave. And I think in the first draft, he wasn't. Um, and then he in the second draft, he he finally stepped up to the plate and and he was brave. And, you know, it, it, could have gone either way and I, you know i it turned out it turned out great you know the way he did um, um i was kind of working under the philosophy that uh not everybody uh steps up in the face of danger and you know then he's the average guy but uh i think she was probably right <laughs> were when you talked about the uh eventually having trouble writing the secretaries because you had to come up with another hijink or something like that for them to go through were there any of the regular characters that you found more or less difficult to write for? Of the regular characters? Uh, I don't know if I wrote anything predominantly uh, Jim, um, just because he was very, to my thinking, was very straightforward. Um, Corky had her own proclivities, um, and... She was always very focused on small things in the midst of large things, which I always find kind of funny. Um, Jim was just a – there was some funniness in his – the stiffness of his character um, in that, you know, put him in a situation where people aren't stiff and it's funny. Um, Who else was – oh, Joe. Uh, Joe was interesting. I – you know, I, I never, uh, I think I did write quite a bit of stuff for him, but I, I, um, I don't know. I, I, I almost never got the thing where he's supposed to be this, uh, um, daredevil. Do you know? Cause I think Diane said that to us like several episodes in and I, and I was just thinking, he's a daredevil. <laughs> what? Yeah, we do talk a lot about his investigative reporting yeah. and that bomber jacket that he wears. We're talking about how that's probably a gift from an assignment and all that stuff. But we don't we don't see in the field Frank. Yeah, that's true. Well, I think that the, there's a difference between his public persona mm-hmm. and his private persona. Yes, right. And then he's actually we talked we just did the uh, Why Do Fools Fall in Love episode. Uh, we just recorded that recently, and we were talking about the the soft, gooey, inner romantic inside this neurotic man. And and also the date, the the blind date that Murphy puts him on, she's like, he's not at all what I thought. And mm-hmm. so I we saw that as sort of a, a clue as to that there may be a difference between what Frank presents on the show than who he is in person, but we don't really see that that much. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, it's, but his neuroses, uh, I love. That's oh, yeah. great. I came back. Uh, they asked me to do a script uh, maybe a couple of years or so after I left. And um, I forget what the whole story is, but Frank goes to see a psychiatrist. Yes, I remember that one. 
That's that's actually that's the one where um, Bob Newhart is in. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And interesting enough, uh, we realized that Richard Schiff from The West Wing is also in that episode. Yes. So it sounded we a were big episode. Just talking about that yeah. one. <laughs> oh yeah. He. I worked with him a few years after that, and he goes, "Oh, Russ Woody, I know you," because he was in the scene where uh, Frank is. Um, I forget how it goes. I think uh, Richard Schiff was in uh, a session with the psychiatrist and Murphy and Frank come in to talk to the psychiatrist. But but Richard Schiff was talking about how um, he, he thinks he's got a handle on his problems. He, he knows that he has to be more assertive in his life and with people. And and by golly, he's he's going to do it. And then, oh, no, it wasn't Frank. Murphy just comes barreling in and says, I want to talk to you. And, and he just kind of, he starts to say something. She says, get out of here. And he just, he goes, okay, okay all right. <laughs> and he leaves. <laughs> he, he was very funny. Now, did they ask you to come back to write that specific episode or they were looking for you to come back and just write one? Uh, as I recall, they, uh, I think I just went back and pitched something and, and uh, just just wrote one. And they were, they were nice enough... Um, at the end of that scene, uh, where Murphy is yelling at the psychiatrist and she turns to leave and she sees the diploma on the wall and she says, Chico State, what the hell is that? College of Marx Brothers? And it's my alma mater and, uh, and they didn't, uh, they had to cut it for time, but they gave me the, uh, they saved me the, the cut. So I, uh, when I used to go up and speak at my old college and pick that up. It just freaked out. <laughs> that's so cool. That's so much fun. Well, speaking before of uh, diminutive characters, mm. although not really as short as Leslie Jordan, <laughs> but, you know, I am a big fan of Jerry Gold. Oh, God. And that's a character that you are credited right. with creating, in uh, which we're about to cover, but will probably mm-hmm. drop before this episode right. drops. Um, it's how you play the game. But also, I thought was interesting is you wrote two of my favorite of the Jerry Gold episodes, which happened to be the beginning of their uh-huh. relationship in Heart of Gold and the the end end. of their relationship in Seems Like Gold Times. And so I thought perhaps you could talk a bit about creating the character and your thoughts on him or anything that you can (laughs) think of. Um, Gosh. You know what? I don't remember that much about him. (laughs) Uh, I think uh, we want – well, obviously we wanted a love interest for Murphy. Uh, And this guy – What's his real name? Jay Thomas. Jay Thomas. Jay Thomas. Um, very funny guy, but he had a radio show at the same time. So he was doing his radio show during the day and coming to Murphy and, and rehearsing uh, during that time. Uh, but uh, no, I just I just remember um, trying to figure out. She, I think Murphy had one romance before that. And then uh, this guy. Jake. Yeah, just her ex-husband. Yep. Um, and then the blind dates. Mm-hmm. Things like that, but but, but the, Jake was the only one that was a legitimate romantic obstacle that she faced. Is that Miles' brother? No, the um, their Miles' brother is Josh. Oh, mm-hmm. The J names, it's the, confusing. all those J names. Yeah, now, Jake Lowenstein is the the man that she married after the D, the yeah. DNC, and then comes back into her life, and they just can't get over He's each Avery's other. Avery's father, okay, and Avery's father. Oh, all right, all right. There you go. I guess I don't think of Josh because uh, they never really they. Consummate? Yeah, I guess that's why. 
<laughs> you just want to say consummate. It's okay. And uh, and I didn't think of his dating because they I guess they went on like two dates really mm-hmm. and then try. But that's true. Yeah. So there would have been Jake, Josh, then Jerry. <laughs> Jake, Josh, and Jerry. Oh uh, no, yeah. So he he was uh, sort of the I was thinking like kind of the anti Murphy. Oh, yes. You know, he was more sort of conservative thoughts, and they always sort of butted heads and had this sort of volatile right. relationship. And mm-hmm. I, I believe uh, I believe we just created him by going to the opposite sides of Murphy, you know, and combi- that always makes for an interesting relationship. Minus the uh, loud opinions. They both had that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he was good. He was good. Um, I can't tell you that much more about him. <laughs> it's all the drugs. Yeah, you know, yeah. they take their toll eventually. Well, before you had mentioned that you, you like to sort of, you know, put in little small things. I don't know if you remember, but in uh, Jerry's last episode, his wife is Norm's last name backwards. Oh, is that right? I assume that you did that on purpose. It's Housengoodzer. Yeah. Or it sounds uh, like it a little yeah. bit. And then you hear one person laughing in the background. And I remember not <laughs> getting it until... You saw Guns and Hauser? Yeah, until we were emailing Norm. And I looked at the spelling for some reason. I went, oh, <laughs> That's that's Jerry's wife's last name. <laughs> it's backwards, uh, and particularly when he said you guys were good friends. Yeah. So, it was, yeah, it's a nice little joke. I I love stuff like that. I love little winks and in jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Norm's. I'll, I'll tell you a Norm story that's great. Please do. Yeah. Remember when there was the uh, video that went viral of it was in the nineties. Who was the actor? Kath, do you remember? I'm good at this game. Good-looking guy who was on uh, Parks and Recreation later. Rob Lowe? Rob Lowe. There was a video that went viral of Rob Lowe. And oh, you mean with the teenage girls? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Everyone was trying to acquire it and, and see what this thing was. And one day Norm came in and he says, uh, guess what this is? We go, what? And he goes, guess. And we go, Rob Lowe? Rob Lowe? And he nods and he puts it uh, in the machine and uh, we we watch and it's a lockdown camera on a on a on a bed and a man and a woman talking to each other and you see the man kind of walk across. We didn't know what the what the video was, so you see a man kind of cross in front of the camera and it probably goes for about ten minutes or so. And then finally Norm's face comes up into the camera and goes, Hello, Stop. Everybody was suckered in. <laughs> that's I love the fact that it's 10 minutes. Yeah. That's yeah, the best. That's on. That's a long con. Yep. Well, and we thought, you know, that it was a gonzo shoot, so it was, you know, there's no cutting or editing, so we're just waiting. We're going, yeah. Okay. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any favorite episodes that you've written that you can remember? That I've written. <laughs> Um, gosh, I don't know. Um, Death of, of, of Nowhere to Run, I suppose, is fun because it's uh, oh, uh, Mrs. Kinsella, Mrs. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Here's to you, Mrs. Kinsella. Yeah, yeah. I t- in fact, Grant has to say, uh, Miles has to say something to Frank, I think, and turn around and walk into a door. So they sent because that's what I do. All, all I've perfected the art. Uh, uh, so they sent me down to the stage to work with Grant so that when he turns away from Frank, he walks into the door and bangs his head. So that's all you, I was helping with the stunts. Yeah. Where's that credit? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> it's just stunt credit. But it's funny too, how, um, sometimes lines that you have no intention of, sometimes they're just placeholders 
that people like. There, there was one in the other um, – oh, the one about the psychiatrist where Frank is yelling at Murphy and he goes – um, God, you just—you think you're 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 perfect. You think you're like a you're like an orange or something. And Murphy goes an orange, and it was just a um, it was almost me thinking in real time the way Frank was because I couldn't think of anything else that was perfect. And an orange really isn't perfect, but um, I, I keep getting people keep mentioning that. Um, and the other was, uh, was, uh, Miles who's talking about Mrs. Kinsella and he says, uh, it's her, it's her, the sex woman. Cause he couldn't, cause he couldn't think what else to say. And it's almost the same thing again. Cause I couldn't think what he would say. The sex woman. <laughs> but it's funny how that stuff, it, it happened a number of times on, on Becker too, where it's just a, it's just a line you don't even think is important that you just throw out there and, Maybe because you don't think it's important, it becomes memorable. Oh, I would say as a, no matter how much I, I write or, or create within comedy, I'm always funnier just as a human when I'm flustered. <laughs> the things that I say when I'm upset are hilarious, and I can never recreate it quite to that extent. For me, it's when I'm really tired <laughs> and I'm not editing myself. Mm-hmm. I'm hilarious. I'm like, quite, what did I say? Quite salty and... and, and <laughs> And uh, but I'm too exi- I'm usually too exhausted to actually type it out. Though. That's yeah. the irony of it. Right. If you're tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I'm great, and I am. I'm going to say I am like it's 1995. Instant messaging. Um, yes. Yeah. It's hard. Uh, it's hard to get it on paper too. Oh, it is, especially because I think one of the one of the hardest parts, and you know, let me know if this isn't the same for you, but what I'm writing is that I have to try and turn off my editor and just get it out there first because the first thing that will stop me is I start editing as I'm going. Yeah. And a lot of that with comedy is I'm like, "Mm, I just feel like that line could be, I feel like the rhythm's off a little bit. I'll just, I'll just go back. I'll just go back and work on it. And then you're like, you're losing the rhythm of the rest of the piece. Mm -hmm. You have to go back. But that it's, Oh, what did I just hear it on? Somebody was saying the, Oh, I think it was uh, Dak Shepard has a podcast that I'm a big fan of. And he was saying about a famous creator whose name I'm going to forget, and I will correct in the show notes, but says that being a writer is signing up to do homework for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah, I've heard that before, too. And it's that for some people, it comes really easy. And then sometimes when you're really just, especially when you know you're supposed to be funny, you're writing a comedy, you're supposed to be funny. All of a sudden, being funny is the hardest thing you've ever done. Well, I always try to think of uh, a lot of writers will say you have the vomit draft. Yes. Yes. That you have to just get it out there. And uh, I have to always remind myself, don't edit, just get it out, just finish it. Particularly when I feel like I have writer's block and I I know I have to finish this scene. And sometimes I have a deadline, which I'm Mm -hmm. no rest you're familiar with. uh, (laughs) And so it becomes just put it out there and then you can go back and edit it later. I mean, editing isn't, writing is in the editing, many people say. And that's actually sort of segueing why I'm fascinated with the old uh, multi-camera sitcom way of writing is the you fact keep that going. you just keep writing new drafts yeah. and I, yeah. you know, with other people. And mm-hmm. I think that's sort of, you know, fascinating that it becomes, you don't even know where I'm sure where we've heard from the writers where, well, whose joke is whose. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, you know, Corby always remembers. Whose joke is whose. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Can you speak a bit about the writing process um, for multi-camera in your experience? Um, for multi-camera, I, I mean, I don't really like it. So um, I don't, I don't like, 
um, I, no, I don't dislike it, but uh, uh, <clears throat> a lot of it kind of becomes like factory work because you're sitting at a table with uh, ten other people, and or in this case, seven other people, um, and uh, it it negates the creative writer's process in in a, in a sense. In the other sense, is you get the best of the joke. It's, it's particularly for jokes. It's really tough to do that with story or structure of story. Um, uh, although that's why I spent a lot of my career doing <laughs> um, on a you know on a whiteboard, uh, figuring out what the. Um, but but there again too, if you're in charge of the whiteboard, it's just you writing it and everybody's putting things in. But on a regular rewrite, uh, it is um, it takes a, a while to learn how to do it. And baby writers, you can see it. Um, and what I tell my students is one of the best things a person can do who's new to the environment. When you hear somebody else pitch something that's uh, pretty good but didn't quite make it, you can work on that. But as soon as you repitch it, say, this is off of what so-and-so said. Um, when somebody pit the showrunners out of the room, when somebody pitches something that's really funny and you're going to repitch it to the showrunner, you say, well, this uh, uh, Bob had a great joke there, great joke, and, and repitch it. Um, and that way everybody feels included. They're not afraid to pitch when the showrunner's out of the room. And the whole idea is to make those with you feel comfortable enough and and useful in the process so that when somebody pitches something out that's not not that great but it's kind of an area which is how jokes come about i think one of the monty python guys said the you know a, a joke is never pitched out just the way it is it's pitched out and somebody repitches it and somebody pitches it again and then somebody misunderstands what was just said and pitches something that's hilarious um, and it's kind of the way a joke works. And if you don't understand that, it, it's a hard process to go through. But if you do understand how taking – so that it just becomes like a, a relay race um, and you get to a really funny uh, joke that way. And it's a, it's a group process. And, um, you know, some people come out with, you know, one-liners, bang, uh, like that. Steve Peterman is really good at that. Um, and I've worked with people who are absolute geniuses at that, who just, I've never laughed so hard. Mike Markowitz is a guy, uh, I worked with at Becker, who just has an encyclopedic mind, and they just come out with these bang, bang, bang. Um, but the rest is, is hard won. And, and you're right too about, um, not editing. I mean, I call it left brain, right brain stuff, and you have to flip back and forth and get used to flipping back and forth. Um, when you're, I think when you're, Coming up with the story, it's left left brain is the creative one. Um, no, right brain, right brain. left handed right brain. Okay, is the creative, and the analytical is your left brain. I've been using the wrong one. Um, no, you use the, the right side of your brain to come up with a story. You go crazy places. Any pl there's no limits. There's no judgment. You just go, and you come up with thirty things that are crap. And in there somewhere, there's something that's pretty good. Then you switch to your your left side of your brain, and and you you take that idea and you organize it. You know, you put the most emotional part of the story at a certain part in the script or in the outline or the on the whiteboard, and then you build to it, and then you build away from it. 
And then you, and then when you get to your first draft, you switch to the other side of your brain, the right side of your brain, and you just write. You follow the dots, but you just write without judging. And then you flip back again to the left side once you finish your first draft. And it's so much easier to write or rewrite a, a draft after it's been written. <laughs> so. There always has to be a first draft. Yeah, you can't have the second until you get that first one out there. No, I know you also worked on the middle, and Corby was mm -hmm. telling us an email how that writing process was very different. Was that something that you liked better? Uh, well, that was, Maybe you can speak a little bit at the differences. That was single camera. So uh, single camera generally, room works different in that uh, you're not working on that week's script that week. Um, the script that is on the stage uh, or on location being shot is there. It's done. Um, and so they're shooting it all week. So you're in the room or you're off writing a script, and there are no real deadlines for you except, you know, getting your draft of the script. And so uh, I kind of like that process better than multicam because multicam is during the week when you're trying to get scripts off the ground – uh, for next week and the week following and stories for the weeks following that. During that week, you also have to do a rewrite on Monday night a re of this particular week's script. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday you can usually work on your own stuff, and then Friday is when they shoot it. So it's a, it's a tremendous amount of work. And what I, what I love is, um, and I mean that facetiously, uh, is after a hiatus, because writers stay during a hiatus. Um, it's usually about a week. And writers stay there and try and catch up. And, and the actors come back from the Bahamas or Hawaii or, or wherever the hell they've gone. And they go, so how was your break? <laughs> and you go, yeah. it's in the, it was in the writer's room. Why the hell? You know what? We've been through this. Just <laughs> you, we've talked about this. <laughs> dee 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 dee. Mm. 